apart from the influence of the Word of God and the influence of the Holy Spirit, we just have an, an, an innate tendency to be our first question, well, what's in this for me? Am I going to like this? And the first question of leadership is not, am I going to like this, but is this best for others? And so we've got to put others first and that type of thing. But somebody noted um, watching some children play over some toys um, that um, they came up with what's called introduction to property law from a toddler's perspective. And so here's how toddlers would have property law written. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a while ago, it's mine. If I say it's mine, it's mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I say I saw it first, it's mine. If you're having fun with it, it's mine. If you lay it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. But what really motivates me as, as a minister, um, because different ministers have their different heartbeats and emphases and things like that. You know, some, some ministers, they're, they're purely evangelistic and they just want to see the lost saved. And, I mean, how could you ever find fault with that? That's wonderful. Other ministers want to see the sick healed. Well, that's great. Um, my heartbeat really is to see um, every person, every believer in particular, recognize their calling and step into it fully and to see the body of Christ become fully functional. When I hear those statistics, and I grew up in a church where, I mean, uh, it was all spectator-based. You know, you went and the pastor did everything and some the priest or whoever, and you just sit and watch and read off the bulletin. and th- But the, once you leave church on Sunday morning, you have no concept of you're an ambassador for Christ and and you're a servant of God and things like that, and, and you're there to contribute. And, and also, when I got spirit-filled and all of a sudden certain things began to happen, my desires began to change, my viewpoint began to change, and I realized God has something for me to do. And some people think, well, that's fine for preachers, but in reality, every member of the body of Christ has something, somehow, some way, uh, they are to contribute through serving and giving and influence and whether they ever preach a sermon or not. Um, But um, when I hear those statistics that in the average church in America today, that 80% of the people who attend are just passive spectators, you know, in terms of attendance, and they they give nothing in terms of their, I'm not talking about finances, but just in terms of their time and their gifts and things like that. And I think, well, that's just like a a human body being 80% paralyzed. And I think, how would any of us function if our bodies were 80% paralyzed? How effective would we be? And that's when, I, when Jesus prayed, Lord, I pray that they will all be one. He wasn't just talking about a sweet, passive unity where we just love each other. But, but he was talking about a functioning one. Because in the Trinity, every member of the Trinity was fully committed, fully invested, fully involved, fully doing their responsibilities and carrying out their roles. If we are one that way, then Jesus said, then the world will believe. Then the world will know. And and that is what Jesus was praying for then, 
for the church, and I believe that's what he's praying for now. And so, um, anyway, you guys are the ones, so you're, I'm preaching to the choir today. You all are the ones that have crossed that line, and you've stepped across that line of just what's in it for me, and you're living now for how can I be a, a better servant for others. And um, so, anyway, the, the final two parts of a Timothy, uh, Paul said a Timothy is someone who has proven character. Paul said, you know his proven character. And a person with proven character is not simply a person with potential. A person with potential is somebody who could do it, but we haven't seen them do it yet. But a person with proven character means that they have been put to the test and they have passed the test. And I'm telling you, there are all kinds of tests. To have proven character, notice he didn't say, uh, you know his proven ability. It's one thing to have ability. It's another thing to have proven character. You know his proven character. Uh, that means he had resisted the temptations toward rebellion, the temptations toward having a selfish attitude, uh, all those things, proven character. And then finally, he said, uh, a Timothy is somebody who serves with a spiritual leader. As a son serving with his father, he has served with me. So a Timothy is somebody who has a proven character, a proven track record of working well with people in spiritual leadership and spiritual authority. And there are some people who say, well, I serve God. But if you say, who do you serve with? They don't serve with anybody. They just kind of do their own thing serving God, which there's times and places where that's okay, you know, where you do some things individually. But, but really the greatest things are going to happen when the body works together. And, um, you know, you can't just be an independent agent for Jesus all the time. We have to work together because we, our gifts are reliant upon one another. When, when I, um, and let me just give you a little bit of my background. Um, I was raised in north central Indiana, mainline denomination. I met my wife, Lisa. She was leading worship at a Bible study in 1977, right after I got spirit-filled. And, and I liked the worship leader. And, um, and so we ended up working together, doing some things ministry-wise, and, and uh, ended up uh, getting married and moving out to Tulsa to attend Rama. And um, when we did that, we became janitors at a church. And uh, that's where we learned some of our great lessons about what it means really to serve, not just to try to be a celebrity or something. And, um, but we, we were janitors for nine months, and then... My wife, Lisa and I went to Australia in the summer between our first and second year of Bible school. We preached around the southeastern part of the country. When we went back to Tulsa in the uh, uh, fall of 1980 to finish our second year of Bible school, uh, the pastor asked if we would be assistant pastors at the church. And um, it was really a wonderful opportunity because I was going to be able to go to Bible school in the morning and then go to church and be an assistant pastor and do all those things. So I was going to get uh, on-the-job training. And uh, it was just a wonderful opportunity. The thing was, I was 21 years old and felt very insecure about the opportunity because I didn't think I had enough life experience um, things of that nature. And plus, this church had a rich, rich uh, Pentecostal heritage in Tulsa. This is a church that Oral Roberts had been a member of. Uh, 
there were people in this church, uh, many people in this church. I was 21 years old. They'd been spirit-filled twice as long as I'd been alive. And so I just feel like I'm this novice. I'm wet behind the ears. I really don't know what I'm doing. Uh, but I had this opportunity, and I felt like God wanted us to do it. And uh, it, it was a great learning time for me. And I ended up in that position for about three and a half years. But um, when I stepped into that position, I was praying, God, help me to be a blessing here. I want to be a good assistant pastor. I want to do a good job and, and be you know, positive for the kingdom of God and, and really help people. And what the Lord directed me to do, I felt, was to begin reading First and Second Timothy over and over and over again. And so it became a habit. It became a discipline for me. For some time, one morning I would get up and read 1 Timothy. The next morning I'd get up and read 2 Timothy. And the reason that was so helpful to me was because um, the letter, you know, 1 and 2 Timothy, it was an older minister talking to a young minister. Really, he said, I'm writing so you'll know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. And you know, there's a right way to conduct yourself in the house of God in a wrong way. And if you conduct yourself the right way in the house of God, you'll be a blessing. Um, you know, you'll be an asset. You'll enhance the work of God. If we don't conduct ourselves right in the house of God, you know, we can end up being a hindrance and causing problems and, you know, division and different things of that nature. And so I just really wanted to be a blessing. And so the Lord had me read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy over and over and over again and just fell in love with those epistles and, and realized then that part of my assignment was to be a Timothy to my pastor. And um, you know, years later, I was teaching in, in Brazil. I was doing this conference in Brazil. Uh, and we had, I think, around 500 pastors there plus some staff. And, um, and one of the pastors asked the question, said, Tony, can anybody in the church be a Timothy? And I, I had never thought about that, and I got to thinking about it, and um, I, I came up with this answer. I said, well, you know, not everybody is going to be a Timothy by position. Or not everybody's going to be the assistant pastor. But I said, but everybody can be a Timothy in heart, in spirit, and in attitude. We can all have that same heart and attitude, regardless of whether we're the number two man or the number 28 man. We can have that heart of serving and that type of thing. But there was one verse, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4.11. There was one verse in Timothy that as I read this, these letters over and over and over again, this verse got so um, burned into my heart in a positive way, and it became a prayer and still is to this day. Um, 2 Timothy 4.11 Paul said, get Mark, I think this is the last part of the verse, I think, get Mark and bring him with you because he is useful to me for ministry. At that time, I was reading the regular King James, which I believe said he is profitable to me for ministry. And there was something about that verse that just so leapt out, leapt off the page to me that a person could be profitable or beneficial or useful to somebody else for the ministry. And that became a prayer of mine. I said, Lord, if Mark could be useful to Paul 
for the minister. If he could be profitable or beneficial, then, Lord, you could make me profitable or beneficial to my pastor. And that's, Lord, what I want you to do. I want you to make me profitable, beneficial, and useful to Pastor Beller. That's the pastor I worked for at that time. And um, one of the things that really blessed me about that verse is because I knew Mark's history, and I knew that Mark had not always been profitable. Do you remember the story of Mark? Um, He was very young, most likely, and he grew up in the home of one of the Marys in Jerusalem where they probably had the Last Supper and... um, may have been where they were gathered for the day of Pentecost, but it was, was kind of like a key leader's home, Mary, in Jerusalem, and Mark was the little kid that had grown up there, and um, he was the cousin to Barnabas, and so when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, little Mark, who may have been a young teenager at that time, or could have been a little bit older, um, he just was there to carry their bags. He was not a preacher. He was just you know, with them to help Paul and Barnabas. And on their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went across the island of Cyprus and ministered, which is kind of like a missions trip to Maui. And, um, and then they decided to go north up into the what today is the southern coast of Turkey and up into the Galatian region, which is not a very, it was dangerous back then. It would have been a very rugged trip. Uh, Paul actually ended up almost being killed on this trip. But when they started to go up north where it was dangerous, they left the beautiful tropical island of Cyprus uh, and headed north to where it was going to be really tough. Uh, Mark knew that he heard his mother calling him. And um, so he went back home to Jerusalem. Well, that just ticked Paul off. Uh, Paul was a a hard-driving bulldozer, you know, type A personality. And uh, so when Mark abandoned them halfway in the journey, uh, Paul didn't appreciate it one bit. And a few years later, he and Barnabas were getting ready to go on their second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, hey, let's give Mark a second chance. Let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, absolutely not. And Paul was not going to give Mark a second chance, refused to give Mark a second chance. And so Barnabas, now two things. Number one, Mark was his cousin. But number two, Barnabas was Mr. Mercy, Mr. Compassion. He was the son of encouragement. And so it's just in his DNA, just we got to give Mark a second chance. So when Paul said no, uh, Barnabas and Paul ended up splitting company. They had a big fight and um, and. Paul, that's when Paul chose Silas and ended up getting Timothy as well. Timothy was Mark's replacement. Isn't that something? And um, Silas was Barnabas' replacement, and so Paul built a new team that did not have Mark or Barnabas on it. And so now we're decades, a couple decades later, and Paul is writing the last letter that he will ever write before his execution that we have record of the last letter that he will ever write, and he says to Timothy, he says, get Mark and bring him with you. Isn't that cool? So here's what that tells us. There can be a time in your life where you're not profitable. Timothy, I'm sorry, Mark was not profitable to Paul at an early age. 
And, you know, we can call it immaturity. He wasn't tough enough. We don't know everything that's involved in why he left, but it was enough. It really, Paul did not feel it was a legitimate reason. And, and so with me as a 21-year-old trying to step into this position at the church, here's my thought. God, if you could take Mark with all of his flaws, failures, shortcomings, and over time you matured him, you grew him, you cultivated him, he went from being unprofitable to being profitable. Then I said, God, there's hope for me. You can make me profitable to my pastor. But we have to be willing to grow that way. There may be, we, we may have maturity areas we have to deal with, you know, there may be um, spirituality areas we have to deal with. You know, sometimes there's just all different realms, but it, there's some, Paul told T- Timothy this. He said, if a man will purge himself from these, he will be a vessel unto honor. So what are sometimes maybe some of the things in our life that we might have to purge ourselves from Areas that we've got to eradicate, you know, any area of carnality, any area of immaturity, any area of our life that's just not what it should be in the eyes of God, anything that's going to be an offense or a source of chaos or division, um, if we'll get rid of those things, we can become a vessel unto honor. We can become profitable uh, to the pastor that we work for. And really, in all, in all reality, if we study through the Bible, what we find is that most everybody that God called, when he called them, um, they had stuff in their background that would have disqualified them, and they had to grow beyond that. They had to forget the things of the past. Uh, Moses, the murderer, became the mighty deliverer. Uh, Gideon, the insecure, became the Lord's warrior. David, the adulterer, became the sweet psalmist of Israel. Peter, the denier, became the proclaimer of Pentecost. John, the boisterous, became the apostle of love. Saul, the terrorist, became the apostle of grace. Mark, the quitter, became profitable for ministry. But, you know, that they had to unload the baggage. And I will say this, sometimes the season between being unprofitable and being profitable, sometimes it can be a period of time. It doesn't always happen real quickly. But we do want to hold out redemptively, you know, for even when folks have done things disqualifying, perhaps over time and with a lot of God's grace and maturity, you know, things can be brought back. And I just think it's beautiful that this relationship that had been so strained uh, came full cycle. That's beautiful when that can happen. Um, You know, I want to just talk for a little bit about uh, our experience as janitors. Um, This, some of what I'm about to share may sound kind of strange, but uh, in the late 70s, how many of you came into the things of God in the 70s? during the charismatic movement. Um, Do you remember how kind of just explosive things were back then? Uh, God, people were getting born again and spirit-filled out of all kinds of denominational backgrounds, and there were Bible studies just exploding everywhere. Uh, Charismatic groups, Lisa and I were part of a few different charismatic groups back in north-central Indiana, and we saw some of the wildest stuff happen. 
we had some of the craziest doctrine. Um, I mean, we were teaching anything and everything, and, um, and and that's why God sent us to Bible school so we could get our get our heads on straight. But um, but there was such sincerity and there was such an outpouring of the Spirit of God, and and I was 18 when I got Spirit filled, and and just within a couple of years I was persuaded that I was going to be you know, the next Billy Graham and that type of thing. I was, I was headed for greatness, and, um, and, and that was born out of a lot of immaturity and pride and different things. But, um, but when I got to Bible school, I found out that there were a few thousand people that were going to be the next Billy Graham. Man, we were all going to be great. We were all going to be awesome. And, um, you know, what's, what's funny is that God can call somebody, but then that doesn't mean that those people have unpacked their baggage yet. And so there's a genuine call of God there, but it's being expressed through ignorance and immaturity and naivete and all this. And um, so, um, you know, I'm just convinced I'm going to be this great, you know, awesome, amazing preacher and, and didn't know anything about serving, but just wanted to be, you know. And it, it had to learn the lesson I think all people have to learn, and that's what Jesus had to keep getting onto his disciples about. It's not about you trying to be great. It's about you serving. If you'll serve, I'll make you great. But not not celebrity great, okay? Not not. It's not about your fame. It's not about your ego. But you'll have a great impact in other people's lives if you'll learn to serve. So long story short, Lisa and I got married. We moved in our little 1977 Honda Civic uh, out to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Our possessions included a folding chair, and two sleeping bags. And we got some stuff after we got out there, but that's what we moved out there with. And um, so we had this little efficiency apartment, and we had one vehicle, so we had to get a job together. Lisa found in the newspaper a church that was wanting a janitor, husband and wife team. And they told us that um, they liked a husband-wife team because they said men don't usually clean real well. And... um, so if the man will kind of do the big stuff and then the woman details it and finesses it and does it right, finishes it right. And um, so anyway, we end up as janitors at this church and um, going to Bible school every morning. And uh, I still have these aspirations of grandeur and things of that nature. And what happened is God allowed us to be in that position. And we did that for nine months. And it was... Um, all during the course of our first year of Bible school. And I I believe with all my heart that he put us in that strategically because I had to learn the value of serving. And I had these aspirations, but I did not have a servant's heart. And I found myself uh, getting into situations where my attitude began to get bad. And I want to just stress this. Sometimes... God will put us, he will give us assignments that are not necessarily comforting to the flesh. I'm pretty sure the cross was not comforting to Jesus' flesh. And so we just have to be careful about, well, I just want to do things that I like to do. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to like doing certain things, but sometimes um, God does call us to sacrifice in certain ways and to put the flesh under in certain ways. And sometimes if we bypass those, we miss some of the opportunities to grow spiritually. And so I just 
clearly began to have some challenges and and I my attitude flared up at different times in one of four areas. And I'll just give these to you real quickly what they were. The first area that I had some flesh problems, some attitude problems with was in the area of anger. Now, you can ask my wife. Lisa and I were coming up on our 35th anniversary together this summer. Uh, she will tell you that I'm not an outwardly angry person. You've never seen me throw things, break things, smash things, yell, scream, all that stuff. Um, but there are people who you may not be outwardly angry, but you still can get inwardly angry. You're just more sophisticated about it. And... Um, so I would just find myself getting, I would call the kind of anger I dealt with in life a low boil, a low boil. So I'd just sit there and be angry and just think things, you know, like, why are you such slobs? Why do I have to clean up after you? You call yourselves Christians and you fellowship and pray, but pick up after yourself, you know, quit sticking the gum under the pews and... Um, you know, clean up after yourself. And I just get mad at the Christians for being such slobs. And, um, you know, if I'd really been smart, I would have been thankful that they were messy because that's job security for a janitor. <clears throat> but I didn't even know that. So I just get mad and, you know, but outwardly I'd smile, never acted mad or anything, but just inwardly I'm thinking, why don't these people, you know, they call themselves Christians, pick up after themselves a little bit better. So, and then secondly, I dealt with jealousy. And the jealousy was simply uh, walking by classrooms. People are in there teaching, and I'm thinking, well, why, why do they get to teach and I don't get to teach? Um, I mean, don't they know who I am? I'm called. I'm, I'm in Bible school. I'm going to be this great, you know, something or other, I thought. And um, why aren't they asking me? You know, why, why do other people get promoted? Why don't I get promoted? Nobody appreciates me. Nobody recognizes me. Nobody's giving me opportunities to do things. And so I'd be jealous of people that got to do things, and, and not just jealous of them. I was glad for them, but why, why not me? You know, self-pity, things like that. And then the third thing was developing a critical attitude. And, um, and I, I, I kind of think it's, it's that when you get one bad attitude, it's easy to spawn off other bad attitudes uh, bad attitudes will conglomerate and collect together. <clears throat> and um, so I would get critical and I would say things to myself because my parents had taught me to always work hard and be polite. So outwardly, everything was great. Nobody would have ever known. But how many of you know the Bible says God looks on the heart? And so I could put on the appearance of being happy and submitted and that type of thing. But inwardly, I was griping and complaining and things. And um, so I became critical, and the way I became critical was I would, I would watch people do things, and I'd say, well, if I was in charge, I wouldn't have done that. If I was the pastor, I wouldn't have said that. And I realized I had become really an expert at how everything ought to be done within a very short period of time. I knew how every decision that should be made, how everything should be said, and all that. I became an armchair quarterback. How many of you know what an armchair quarterback is? And, and so I was just second-guessing everything and criticizing everything. But again, outwardly, nothing. Outwardly, I was sweet and kind and respectful. And then finally, I became kind of apathetic. And let me tell you what I mean by apathetic 
um, I was excited about the future when I would become a preacher. I was fired up about that. I just wasn't very excited about cleaning toilets. But and, and, and what I did was I just kind of resigned myself. Well, they don't appreciate me. They're slobs. Um, I don't like the way they do things here. Don't think they're making good decisions. Um, but I'll just do my job, and I'll kind of do the bare minimum. I'll, you know, I won't get fired or anything like that. I'll do the job, but I'm not going to bust it. I'm not going to go the extra mile. I'm not going to go above and beyond the call of duty. I'll just do the bare minimum right now. But when I become a preacher, man, I'm going to go full throttle for God. See, to me, faithfulness and diligence was something that I would do in the future when I got to do what I wanted to do. Not something I'm going to do now, serving, helping somebody else with what they are doing for God. Well, how many of you know that God loves us enough to, one person said it this way, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And I, I wanted, you know, I was yearning for promotion. I was yearning for the day when I would get, you know, to do what I wanted to do and things like that. And, um, you know, almost would have loved if some prophet had come into the church and, as the prophet is ministering, he would have said, the Lord is showing me there's somebody out in the hallway right now. He's clean. He's a janitor. Bring him in here. You know, and then he would have prophesied about, you know, yea, thus saith the Lord. You have been ignored. Uh, They have not recognized your true greatness, but thus saith the Lord, I will exalt you and I thought I would have liked that. How many of you know that it, it, there's a difference between what we want to hear and what we need to hear? That would have been very gratifying to my flesh. That would have been very gratifying to my ego. But um, in, instead, the Lord had some other things to say, and it wasn't through any prophet. It was just some things in my spirit. And I remember one time, Uh, there were three times that the Lord specifically brought a word of correction to my heart. And the first time, uh, I was doing my job, doing what I was supposed to do externally, but I was grumbling on the inside. And it was one of those times when I was saying, well, I'll just do the bare minimum now. I'll do enough to get by. But when I become a preacher, God, then I'm going to give my very best. Then I'm going to give a 1,000%. You know, I'll go above and beyond the call of duty then, but I'll just do, I'll just be very mediocre now. Just do the bare minimum. And, and the, the Lord spoke in my heart, and these are the words I heard. I want you to treat this job, and I knew he was talking about me cleaning the toilets and sweeping the rugs. I want you to treat this job as though it's your ultimate calling, as though it's the most important thing you could ever do for me. See, we have this tendency to think that faithfulness is something that will happen when we get to do what we want to do rather than what we can do at the moment. And years later, I heard a statement by Martin Luther King Jr., and he said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he's talking about a street sweeper. That's not prestigious or, 
you know, glamorous. But he said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets as though uh, even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. And just, you know, meditating on, I didn't come across that quote till much later, but, but when the Lord spoke that to me, I want you to treat this job as though it's your ultimate calling, as though it's the most important thing you could ever do for me. And, and I, I was just reminded of scriptures about, you know, whatever you do, you know, do it for the Lord. And, and, and I got convicted. You know, I realized that, that I, I had this bad attitude, but I was thinking, but when I become a preacher, and see, the Bible says, if you've not been faithful in a small thing, who will give you that greater thing? And I want you to understand this, cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning the church is not a small thing in the eyes of God. It may be a small thing in the eyes of man. But I think we're going to be shocked when we get to heaven. And we see the rewards passed out. See, we have, I think this is a false idea. We think that preachers are going to get rewarded bigger than everybody else just because they were preachers. And I'm going to tell you what, I don't think for one second that God is going to reward anybody based on the visibility of what they did. He's going to reward based on the faithfulness of how they did it. And I think we're going to be shocked to see some, some mothers of the church that didn't do anything publicly much, but they prayed like crazy. We're going to see some nursery workers, and we're going to see some janitors, and, and, and they're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and they're going to be loaded to the gills with rewards because God's not going to reward based on our visibility. He's going to reward based on our faithfulness. And so when the Lord spoke that to my heart, I repented, and I said, God, forgive me. I've had a bad attitude. I've been, I've been saying I'll be faithful off in the future, but you want me to be faithful right now. I've been saying I'll be faithful when I get to do what I think is some glamorous prestige, but you want me to be faithful cleaning the toilets now. And I want you to know I repented, and I got my attitude right, and I kept it right for two weeks or so. Anybody here ever get a word of correction and you straighten right up and eh, it's not too long before you slide back into the old ways of, you know, the dog back to his vomit, the pig back to the mud. Um, so I, I'm going along and I'd gotten back into having a bad attitude again. And I remember this time specifically the bad attitude was I was doing a lot of this. Well, if I was the pastor. If I was the pastor, I'd see the pastor do something, say something. And uh, do you know when you're highly visible, it's just so easy to criticize, you know. And, and I just, I, I'm amazed at, you know, even things like I'm watching a football game and the quarterback, and I'm thinking, well, why didn't he pass to the guy out in the flats? He was, you know, that's easy to say in your lazy boy. <laughs> it's not so easy when you got three guys weighing 300 and some pounds wanting to take your helmet off while your head is still in it. It's easy to judge and critique. So I was doing all this, well, if I was the pastor, if I was the pastor, if I was in charge, and um, had this experience, 
and I don't know what you'll think of this, but I, I, it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, if you were the pastor, see, he played into this thing that I was, if you were the pastor, what kind of janitor would you want working for you? But I didn't even see it coming. See, you're smarter than I. I did not see it coming. It, it was a trap. I did not see it coming. And I said, well, bless God, if I was the janitor, if I was the pastor, I would have a janitor. He would show up early. He would be excited. He would, he would be full of enthusiasm. He would treat his job as a ministry under the Lord. He would have the church building sparkling. He would have a spring in his step. He'd be quick. Uh, he'd just be eager to do everything he could to make the building. I mean, I just described this janitor on steroids. <laughs> Made this big mental list. Because, see, I'm thinking, now I'm going to be in charge. And I, this is, and, you know, this is the janitor that's going to serve me. See, it's easy to get inspired when you think about it, somebody else doing it for you. But as soon as I got done with that big mental list, you know what the Lord did? He said, you be that janitor. I wasn't as inspired anymore. <laughs> he pulled the rug right out from under me. To use the old, he gave me just enough rope to hang myself. When he does that, I call that he is being Jehovah sneaky. And um, man, I got so excited. I really did. I got so excited when I was thinking about when I'm in charge and this is, I'm going to want this kind of, and, but then he said, you be that janitor. And I wasn't excited about it. I didn't want to do that for somebody else. I want somebody to do it for me. And that human nature. wonder if Jesus had anything in mind when he said, whatever you would want somebody to do for you, you go ahead and do that. For I like the way the message version renders that verse in Matthew 7, 12. Message version says, here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you then grab the initiative and do it for them. So anyway, so he said, you be that janitor. That took the air out of my sails. But again, I repented. I saw that I was wrong and saw that I'd let that bad attitude sneak back in there. And so I repented. I got my heart right with God, got my attitude right and kept it right for another two weeks. And I'm standing in the men's restroom. I can take you to the exact spot at this church, 5345 South Peoria in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the men's restroom, there's three sinks and, uh, you know, the towels and the mirror and all that. And I've sprayed my Windex on the window, or the, the mirror, and I'm in, between, I'm in between sink two and sink three, closest to the door when this happened. And and I'm sitting there grumbling and complaining. I'm doing my job on the outside, but I'm grumbling on the inside. And as I'm cleaning that window, I heard the Holy Spirit on the inside of me speak. And he said, I want you to clean this restroom as though Jesus himself were the next person coming in here. And it just, it convicted me. I thought, what, what if Jesus really were the next person coming in here? How, how well would I clean this mirror? How nicely would I wipe these sinks and have this restroom? You know, I, I would just do everything I could to make it as immaculate as possible. Why? Because I'd be doing it for Jesus. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. That's what I'm supposed to have been doing all along. 
because I wasn't even a volunteer. I was a, I was being paid, which is probably why I stayed at it. And, um, but that kept me at it long enough to where God could kind of straighten me out a little bit. But, you know, whether we do it for a paycheck or whatever reason, you know, there's nothing wrong with being paid for certain positions. Most positions aren't paid. You know, 98% of what happens in churches is volunteers. But there is a reward um, that is based not doing it for money or prestige or recognition or any of the other things that could motivate. We need to do it for Jesus. That needs to be our ultimate motivation. And when I got that insight, again, a verse that comes to mind, Colossians 3.22 says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. In other words, don't just do it when people are watching you as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. And wow, if we could just be mindful of that all the time, why are we doing what we're doing? We're doing it for Jesus. And Jesus said this, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, what? You've done it to me. Man, you guys that are taking care of the kids on Sunday morning, Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it as unto the Lord. Treat every person you interact with as though, you know, when you open the door as a greeter, open that door like you'd open it if it was Jesus coming to church. Jesus even said this, whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones will in no way lose their reward. So he, the Bible says God is not unfaithful. He will not forget your labor of love in that you have ministered and do minister to the saints. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to that day. My prayer is that when I stand before him, he's going to say, well done. I don't want to serve, go through life serving with wrong motives and bad attitudes and get to the end and stand before Jesus and have him say, well, you're done. (laughs) And there's just something real simple about it. In order to hear well done, we're going to have to have done something well. And so that means we, we not only do it from the right quality, we not only want to do the job as best we can, you know, excellence for him, like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, sweep streets as though Michelangelo painted as Beethoven, uh, Shakespeare composed poetry as Beethoven composed music. But we want to do it with the right heart and the attitude because God looks at that just as much. That's why Jesus said, if you do all the, if you give your body to be burned, if you do all these, but you don't have love, what do he say? It profits you nothing. God wants you to profit from your service. And, and we experience that when we keep our hearts right, our attitudes right. So God wants excellent quality on the outside, but he wants great humility and servant attitudes on the inside. When we put that together, we've got an amazing combination. And that's what I think Timothy had established well in his heart and life. He did a good job at what he did, but he did it with the right heart and the humility of attitude.